0: Happy Wednesday, everybody. It's the Orange Black Insider, Bengals podcast coming at you. The Bengals are coming off a nice win. They are 2-2. and They are back even after that slow start. We're going to talk more about the slow start and where the Bengals have potentially recovered here. I'm Anthony Gazenza, joined as always by the talent, the the brain, all of it behind the show, John Sheeran. What's going on, my man?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm sporting the... Supporting the Reds tonight as they wrap up their season with a hundred wins. Or I'm sorry, a hundred losses. So, thank God that's Eesh. over. Yeah. Eesh.
0: Uh I feel uh I feel for my old my old buddy Mickey Mentzer, uh at Hude Fans, the guy that I did the the very first Bengals podcast with with Nick Superling and others. Um he he now has a position with the Reds. I think he's working kinda in the front office a little bit, which is pretty cool, but uh, rough season for them, and so uh, hopefully they turn it around. It's always nice when the Reds are good, right?
1: Yeah, I mean at least he's getting paid to watch that mess. You know, I couldn't imagine doing it for free.
0: <laughs> Mickey, we love you, buddy. Um,
1: uh, hey, the
0: Bengals are two and two. Uh, they were uh, starting off a little sketchy, uh, and we didn't we didn't like where things were headed. But now they're two and two, and they beat a quality opponent. And John, they beat them. In primetime, this primetime thing is now becoming something that Zach Taylor and his boys like to rise to in terms of the occasion. So the Bengals beat the Dolphins. We talked a lot about that on Friday, taking your questions and breaking that down. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We're going to talk about the slow start with the Cincinnati Bengals and what that may or may not mean. And then, of course, we're going to talk more about the the big, another back-to-back, back-to-back primetime game against the Baltimore Ravens. And we're going to be joined later this week by Glenn and James from 410 Sports Talk. It's either going to be Thursday or Friday. We'll probably go live with that too. So you'll want to join us as we do our usual preview of the opponent with uh, someone that covers the opposition there. So we'll be having that for you and a lot of other stuff on this show and the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. As always, you can get that channel on your favorite audio streamer iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. And of course, you can also, if you like the video stuff, you got to like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. You got to hit the little icon down there beneath John and the Cincy Jungle logos. Click that, subscribe, hit the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. So you'll want to do all of that. Housekeeping aside, John Sheeran, uh, and, and we'll get to some news here. As we sit here almost a week now, since the Bengals had the uh, the big win over the Dolphins. How, how, how are you feeling about things? How are you feeling about their 2-2 two and two start and where things are at this point? I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the slow start, but um, I don't know. How are you feeling about everything now?
1: Yeah, this team, um, more times than not, gets scheduled the Thursday night game pretty early in the season. Yeah, they do. Usually
0: first week. month, yeah.
1: Yeah, like week two or week four usually, and they usually have these these mini buys, if you will, kind of early in the season. And you no, know, I've i grown to appreciate that. Like it's it's better, I guess, to have that when you're more fresh rather than as the season goes on and you're more tired. And, you know, two games in five days is already a ton for the NFL player to take on. But if it's going to happen, it might as well happen earlier in the season when you're not as banged up and bruised. And it's also a nice reflection point to just kind of gauge where you are as a team maybe and to take some mental notes and to, to really hone in on the self-scouting. And I think it's given a lot of us like a chance to take a breather on like what this team is. And I think there's a better, i there's a better idea of where they are and where they're going now that there's more time to breathe. And especially having 10 days rest coming off of two straight wins is a lot better than having one of those be a loss. Well, so there's some good news and some bad news
0: coming, coming forward. We'll do the injury report later, but the good news is, um, is that Evan McPherson is the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week for his performance against the Dolphins. So it, you got to like that. Um, nothing new to him in terms of accolades, awards, etc. But, John Sheeran, the Bengals got a little bit of good news in the form of a couple of players cleared to practice this week. And I'll pull up this. This just came over the wire Wednesday. Khalid Kareem and Cam Taylor-Britt, Friend of the show, Cam Taylor Britt. Yeah. Are back uh and they are cleared to practice from their respective injuries. Uh good news here and some depth, and the Bengals need a little bit of defensive line help with DJ reader on what what's hoping to be a short term IR situation
1: as well. So the whole thing here is that once you're cleared from IR, there's a twenty-one day window to mm-hmm. practice with the team without counting it against the 53-man roster. Now, the 53-man roster for the Bengals is currently 51, so common sense indicates that Kareem and Taylor Britt are going to be players 52 and 53, and also the defense currently only has 23 active players, so that would make it 25 for the offense and 25 for the defense. So I think with both of these guys, it's not a a given that they're going to be fully activated this weekend. It's definitely possible, though. I think Taylor Britt was being used as the Lamar Jackson decoy in practice today, which makes sense. He's a really, really good athlete who could actually throw the ball like a decent amount. So if there's going to be one guy, it might as well be the guy that hasn't really practiced with the team in a month just to give him something to do as he kind of reacclimates himself. And (laughs) with with Kareem, yeah, like that, you know, he's been kind of banged up in his Bengals career, and we weren't really sure how long he or Taylor Britt, for that matter, were were going to be out. But it is good news that both of these guys who, I think entering the season, like they were kind of given to be the first or first two guys off the bench at their respective important positions. And, you know, luckily edge and quarterback haven't been positions where the Bengals have been banged up after, you know, the beginning of the season, but just to have that depth is, is very important.
0: It is very important, and then of course the abdomen injury is what plagued Taylor Britt. That was a little scary because those things can, you know, linger and turn into surgery. You know, it just goes on. The list goes on and on with something like that. And then of course Kareem had the hamstring injury. Kareem, a guy that just has a knack for making plays when he gets time and when he's in there, but he's just been plagued with injuries through his career. And a guy that you know, hopefully that will provide an extra little spark up front for the Bengals if and when he is activated there so good to have both of those guys back for the Bengals another thing that came out of and I talked a little bit about this on our happening headline show another thing that came out of this John I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I found it to be it's a positive But it's also definitely a sign that there is growing concern and, or we got to fix this now. And that is that Joe Mixon has met with his offensive line mates to try and correct things. I like it. You know, I mean, he has the captain's insignia. He's a guy who means a lot in the locker room. He's been a productive player for the Bengals. One of their better ones uh, really since he's been on the team. So you like to see this initiative being taken. And I, I would like to think, you know, it's just kind of this chat, like, Hey, you know, on this play, are you expecting me here? Are you expecting me here? You know, all those little things. But there's more to it. There's more and more talk now uh, that, that I've seen and heard and, and watched a little bit in terms of snaps played by Joe Mixon that there's some tells out there in terms of when it's going to be run, when it's going to be passed. Um, so I wonder also if that's part of the conversation there too. But the bottom line is this is completely out of sync with Joe Mixon, the offensive line, and the play calling. So I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of a, a little bit of a come to Jesus meeting there. It seems seems like between Joe Mixon and the offensive line.
1: Yeah, I think it's important that there's like a group effort to solve it. And because that, that's important, because over the past few weeks, like we've correctly identified that this is not an individual issue with Mixon or the offensive line or play calling. It's it's a conglomeration. It's a, it's a combination of all of those areas kind of combining into one colossal mess. So it's important that all of the people who are accountable for this come together to find a collaborative solution or to just figure out where they all are and, you know, where the disconnect may be and to start on the right steps of finding out how to solve that disconnect. So, you know, any any step that they take now is, is progress in that sense. If they weren't doing anything to really do this in the first place and just recognizing that there is a problem is the first step to solving a problem. I, I think... Zach Taylor usually exudes confidence when something is going awry, and that hasn't really changed uh, so far this week. When he's been asked about the running game, like he has repeatedly said, it's, it's trending in the right direction, which I can still kind of see, like where he's getting that. Like even against the Dolphins, he, he noted that people will point to the arts per carry as as a sign of of it just not being successful at all, but. They did you know convert some third downs in that game, I think they converted five, and people just remember the fourth and one and not having confidence in converting that fourth and one at the goal line as a sign of oh they, they can't trust it, but you know I think there were some some slight positive steps in the right direction against Miami, and that's really big for me because Miami's whole defense like they're really good against stopping the run. They just go out in those bare fronts and they have really good guys in filling those gaps so I think It's obviously not even close to where it should be considering the talent that offensive line and the talent that Mixon has, but there are steps being taken in the right direction. I understand why Taylor's saying that, but they definitely needed that coming together as just a total run game unit to try to figure out where they're all all at.
0: I'd like to think that this is going to bear fruit. I don't know if immediately, but pretty soon, this type of meeting. And, and, you know, we're – you kind of hash things out. This is, this is the kind of stuff that's needed here, but at the same time, uh, I mean, if there's tells, I mean, it, it, all that kind of stuff does sometimes take some time to work those kinks out. So I don't, you know, I'm seeing in here, uh, Mitzi uh, mm-hmm. is, is saying, I think this is the game that, that the Bengals get the run game back on track with mixing. I love the optimism. I don't know that it's going to be, you know, the, all of a sudden this meeting is necessarily a cure-all. I think it'll help. I mean, it, could, it definitely couldn't hurt unless we hear something that it went totally awry and guys were going after each other or something, which doesn't seem to be the case with no. things at all, especially after a win. You wouldn't think that would be the, the case. But, um, you know, I, I, I just – I think this is going to be a work in progress. Again, you've got four new starters up front. Um, and, and guys are just kind of feeling things out right now, and it's just not working on a number of different levels. So I, I don't know that this week in particular you're going to see Mixon rush for 140 and two touchdowns and over five yards a carry per se, but I don't know. I guess stranger things have happened. I think it's going to be more of a
1: long, long play. Can we talk about the tell real quick? Because shout out to the guy who, who ran through all that footage on Reddit and made a really comprehensive you know, in-depth analysis. Someone even reached out to, I believe to you and I about, can can we get the, can we get the Bengals to notice this? I'm not discrediting the the guy at all because obviously he put in the work, but if a guy with game pass or whatever he used to find that, if he can identify that, obviously defenses can do the same thing. If they live, breathe, live, breathe and eat film how are the Bengals not finding this? Like, it almost feels like it's it's insulting their intelligence to address this. Like, hey, did you realize that your own running back, you know, the guy that you watch every single day at practice and you go over game film and you watch him live on the sidelines. Have you noticed that he does this one thing? If If apparently all 31 other teams and fans are noticing this, it almost seems like asking the team if they've noticed it is it's like insulting their own intelligence or maybe I'm just giving them a little too much credit. So the whole thing is very fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm, I guess a little interested if they've picked up on it, but it's almost like, come on, this is an NFL team. Like they, they have to know this at least to some extent, right?
0: You would think one would think that that is the case. Yes. And hopefully that starts to uh, the, the predictability starts to dissipate. And I think, you know, what's interesting is we kind of were, when you go through this, you know, Joe Mixon, is he, is he giving the tells away of what's coming here? You know, before we kind of looked at it in that light, we were all over Zach Taylor and the, and the predictability of the play calling. And that's why, you know, they always, you know, in in shotgun, they're always doing this and under center, they're always doing that. And now you kind of go, okay, well, is there more to it than just the coach coaching, calling predictable play calls? Is there, is the running back, you know, kind of given some signs off there? It's uh, and you would think, like you said, I mean, guys getting paid incredible amounts of money to not only st- study the film, but also to coaching co- coaches, examining the film and teaching their players things. And they would notice that, too. You would think that that would be seen. So I don't know if that's part of the chat that took place. I don't know if that's something that will be worked on, hopefully, though, the predictability factor when the if and when the Bengals run the football starts to go away because I am sick and tired of seeing <laughs> not only Joe Mixon get hit in the backfield, but also just even when he has a lane, not getting too much out of it. John, I mean, there were games that have to look so far, but, I mean, I, you know, long long run of the night is seven yards, right? I mean, it's like you, you can't. Uh, you, your offense can't really be functional that way. You got to get more out of it. And then, you know, at times, some of your best running plays are from your quarterback, who is a mobile guy, but not known as a quote unquote running quarterback. So it's like, you know, it, it's just something that isn't fully sustainable. The Bengals are still finding ways to win, though, which is good.
1: Yeah, it's not. And I think NFL Live had a great conversation just about marrying the pass and run game today. And I Mina mean, Kimes kind of brought up a great point. Like, there's a reason. For whatever reason, like this year, the most efficient offenses are running the ball really well because there's just a shift right now defensively where defenses are, aren't just gonna let teams just go over the top of them. And really, the really good passing offenses are still kind of explosive on first and second down, but it's been transcending all over the league. Like te- teams are basically daring every offense to run the ball, and the teams that are most successful have really efficient running games and it it doesn't just mean they have a a feature lead back, you know, that, that with that traditional mindset, they they just know how to generate yards on the ground. And with the Bengals right now, it's not like they have one thing that kind of works well and everything else is falling behind. They have nothing that really works well. They can't run outside. They can't run inside. We talked uh, me and the puppets and Bridget, we talked with Parker Blake, who is a Bengals fan. You guys should follow him at Parker Blake 60. He's the offensive line coach in Utah. He does great breakdowns on Twitter and we asked him like if if you were coaching this team like what concepts would would work the best and he said they can't run wide zone to the right, which is totally right. Like Kappa and Collins like right now with the way that they're playing, they they are not best suited for those concepts and they kind of only run wide zone to the right. Like sometimes they go to the left, but that's still dealing with a rookie left guard and Cordo Volson who's finding himself. They have certain guys that are decent in some concepts. They don't always run those concepts, and I think we're seeing a transition towards a more of a gap scheme run game out of shotgun, but hasn't fully gotten there yet, and it's still a relatively new scheme for a lot of these guys in this offense considering they built the entire offseason around just wide zone and those uh, principal plays. So it's a transition period, and guys are still getting their feet uh, wet.
0: That seems to be the case. Yeah, seems to be the case, but regardless, there was an, a, a very... Uh, I, I don't know what the right word would be, but there was a meeting that took place—an important meeting, a needed meeting, a necessitated meeting—that took place between everybody, and hopefully we start to see some different results than what we've been seeing these first few weeks. Um, other than that, uh, the other, the only other kind of negative news here: Drew Sample was placed on IR, um, so now the Bengals—we saw our first. Look at Devin Asiasi last week. Um, Mitchell Wilcox had a lot of snaps last week on offense as well. So, you know, you had some nice contributions from Hayden Hurst, including what was the game-sealing touchdown reception. Nice play call and play design on that one. So now, you know, sample a guy that has had some injury issues, definitely hasn't, be it because of the role they've put him in and or just who he is, has not lived up to that second-round billing in Zach Taylor's inaugural draft class, but Drew Sample now to IR.
1: And this was expected. I mean, that injury looked terrible against Dallas. Yeah. He had surgery down there, so it was never likely that he was going to return. And I think, I, I guess Taylor didn't completely 100% rule him out for whatever reason, because he didn't want to, you know, be a Sith and deal in absolutes, but you know, <laughs> a, a, an injury that looked that bad and that required surgery immediately, it, d- it didn't seem like it was going to be something in the short term, but mm. He's in the last year of his contract. We have no idea what his recovery timeline is going to look like, and it's entirely possible that we've seen the last of Drew Sample in a Bengals uniform. So that'll be an interesting conversation to have in the offseason.
0: It will be an interesting conversation to have, and what will be further interesting is to see if and how the Bengals invest in the tight end position. They didn't want to pay C.J. Uzama the money that he was seeking and received from the Jets, they did bring in Hayden Hurst, but it was a team-friendly kind of rental deal, one-year deal. Maybe he has extended, based on some of the things he's done already, maybe he extends that into a multi-year deal. They got Asiasi Aussie- off waivers, and you know they've, they like Wilcox primarily as a special teams guy. Not as a long snapper, obviously, but as a special teams guy. Uh, and so now, you know, you, you look at next year and you go, okay, Drew Sample's contract is up. Uh, you know, you've got Hurst, whose contract is up. I mean, what what are the Bengals going to do here? Who are they going to bring in to fill that position group? Not one they over they use overly a, a bunch with all the talent that they have, but still, they're going to need some guys and they're going to need some some extra talent there, I would think. So, a, a position group to watch. I know we're not really into talking off season already, but definitely something to to watch for next season.
1: I think they would be interested in bringing or extending Hurst before the season ends, but that's kind of been part of the problem with the run game, too. The tight ends can't block. Like, Hurst has never been a blocker. Sample, for all the billing that he had as a run blocker coming out of college, he never really developed into even a quality one at that. And Wilcox, I think, is a little bit... He's a little slight at the position. I don't think that's really, like, the, the overall strength of his game. So they don't really have, like, a blocking tight end on the roster right now. So it's not really making the run game a lot better when they're going into their heavy packages.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's a, a little bit of talk, not that he was a, a, you know, a beast in the, in the blocking department per se, but CJ Uzama, I think helped out in chips and different, different scenarios a little bit more than Hearst and others have. So, you know, I think you're seeing a little bit of what CJ brought in that respect Based on what you just said about the tight end group, the lack of blocking prowess, shall we say, say as (laughs) as a little bit more polite way. But um, anyway, yeah, Drew Sample to IR. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, The Future of Work All right, let's get to an important question here, and it is going to headline the oh-so-popular segment that we have on our show, State Your Case. John, present us with the topic, my friend. You called this one.
1: Yeah, it's been something I've been thinking about for a little bit. Um, just in this past week or two weeks, I guess after they started, zero and two, and then they work back to two and two. There's been a lot of, oh man, they're they're a long snap away from being three and one. And you know, how can they enter the season this this sluggish? And this all followed an off season where the the topic of Super Bowl hangover was prevalent, and we you know analyzed that to death. We went into is it actually real or are the Bengals differently composed or composed differently compared to other previous Super Bowl losers and I think we correctly identified that this team is comprised or at least built differently to you know bounce back from a Super Bowl loss like other previous Super Bowl losers weren't able to they weren't as burnt out as some of the other teams were they were still young they were still in their prime they're still hungry they haven't even been they're like Dennis Reynolds they haven't even begun to to peak they're not close to peaking right now and they're still not peaking and he had this 0-2 start with a lack of identity, right? That's been another thing. Like, what can the Bengals do well? Like, with all this talent and all these pieces that are coming together, what are their strengths and what are opposing defenses going to allow them to do? And can they overcome some things that they weren't expecting? And all of this has led up to a two and two start that could have very easily been three and one, right? And you look at last year and how they were three and one by the grace of a Jesse Bates forced fumble on one of the best running backs. In the league, and Dalvin Cook, but a very similar start, and we identified this after the week two lost to Dallas. Like this is a carbon copy start. That the only difference was that forced fumble, and that's w- what we see. Like the margins are so thin that's the difference between winning and losing. I-, I don't think this was a Super Bowl hangover. I still don't think it's a Super Bowl hangover. I think at this point, this is year four of Zach Taylor. Every single one of, of these seasons, regardless of the previous season how that ended, regardless of the state of the roster. This team always starts slow. And I think that is their identity, unfortunately. They just start really sluggish out of the gate. And I think there are some valid reasons behind that, too. You look at last year, you know, they had Quinn Spain brought back to the offensive line, but he was playing a new position, or at least old position that he didn't he didn't really play in 2020 at left guard. So that's technically a new starter. You had mm-hmm. Xavier Sua and then Jackson Carmen starting a right guard. That's a new starter. Riley Reefs starting a right tackle, that's a new starter. That's three new starters. The same thing happens this year when you have basically an entire new offensive line and four new starters including a rookie in cordo volson who clearly you know wasn't i guess ready to start right out of the gate against the pittsburgh steelers you have pieces that are new kind of acclimating themselves in the offense that's already a variable that is not always guaranteed to work out of the gate the chiefs may be an exception when they can completely rebuild their offensive line and things are are swimmingly in week one patrick mahomes is the world's greatest quarterback in the month of september nothing phases that guy the season begins i I don't think that's the case with the Bengals, and I, i don't think that'll might ever be the case with a zach taylor Bengals team as so long as they don't prove otherwise so i think when you have as much data points as this compared to recent years every single one of these seasons with zach taylor they finished much better than when they started even when they didn't win anything in 2019 they at least looked like a more competent team at the end of that year when they drafted first overall in 2020 they finish strong with convincing wins over the Steelers and a very gutsy win over the Texans. And obviously, when you start, you know, I guess one and one in the first two weeks and don't really look that much better than a 4-11-1 team to making the playoffs, that's obviously finishing strong. So long as you finish better than you started, that's always going to be a more positive compared to the alternative. But I don't know, man, it feels like. And also the preseason factor that's been talked about too, but that's not really an uncommon thing anymore with the NFL. I know Zach Taylor was asked about if, if September has become the new August, and he didn't really have a good answer with that because there are, to his point and to his credit, a lot of variables that are involved with that. But I think just in general, when you're trying to redo multiple parts of the team every single year because you have such huge weaknesses that you're trying to cover up from the previous year, there's always going to be an acclimation period, and injuries are always, you know, unavoidable, and you have to always work around that, and they had to do so this August, so I think it just has to be accepted that this team under this leadership, along with all the positives that come with it, they just kind of start slow out of the gate, and I don't really think it had anything to do with the Super Bowl.
0: You are on to something here, and... I put out a tweet in which you responded to about the interesting mirror images of the Bengals starts to last year and this year. And, you know, you look at how basically last year started the Bengals had that, that overtime win against the Vikings. Uh, And then, you know, they, the next week, they, they had the loss to the Bears, where Burrow had a number of turnovers. I want to say probably four, three or four in that game. And that game was pretty similar to week one in that respect, where Burrow had a ton of turnovers against the Steelers. The Bengals come back and barely lose that one, just kind of like the Bears game, right? Uh, and, and then you look at just how the rest of the season so far has progressed through these first four weeks, and you see kind of the mirror image of, of things from last year, tight games, uh, you know, one one possession games a lot of the times, and then you look at, you know, even the Jacksonville game where you thought the Bengals should have just walked away with a big, big margin of victory in that one, you know, barely kind of got out of that one as well. So, I, yeah, I, it, but the, the question then goes, okay, so – maybe they are a team that just starts slow and it's not the super bowl hangover but then what is it what what why is is this the why is it starting slower and i think where the expectations are now with this team based on what they did last year making it to the super bowl and you've got all the pieces in place you've really only lost cj uzama and larry oganjobi as major players on this team and you brought in some nice replacements for the most part at those positions. I I, I think where the I, what we're dealing with is the expectations being raised, and maybe now that's where you get. I mean, John, when we did our show Friday, where the bank talking about a win, some of the YouTube comments were going, "God, you guys, what? I would have thought we lost based on how you guys are <laughs> talking about this game." And it's it's really a, 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 about you know, where the expectations are for this team right now. And maybe that's where we kind of felt like there's a lot of similarities that we just didn't in terms of slow starts to the season that we just didn't really want to see or didn't want to believe that that's part of who they are because of what they did last year. Still, it's a little bit of a mystery as to why that is probably a combination of factors, but it's, it's, it's still a little bit of a mystery as to why.
1: Well, first of all it's very important that regardless if you win or lose you look at just the facts of what you just saw and and some wins look better than than others and some losses also look better than others so it's important to just analyze what actually happened and look beyond just what the scoreboard told you so you know you know like that Thursday night win like it looks good on paper but there were definitely some areas of concern or some signs where there still needs to be some more progress there and I think I, it, it's more nuanced than just saying it's a coach, a coaching issue, because this is now four years of this, of pretty much the the same staff, the same coordinators, the same head coach, the same culture and system in place. So I don't think it's entirely just you know claiming that they're incompetent coaches. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. I'm I'm saying that like not only have they had to you know completely revamp a defense one year, completely completely revamp an offensive line basically every single year, and this is the first time when you should have felt some you know variance of or sense of confidence in the offensive line. But when you experience so much turnover and change in the off season and you're constantly having to work around that and to implement that along with the fact that you're still growing as coaches and you're still learning what works and what doesn't work with your scheme, with your personnel, I think that does end up leaving or leading to shortcomings specifically in the beginning of the season when you're not entirely sure what your opponent is going to do. I think it's fine for, them and for I guess fans in general to have more confidence in this year's start because of the talent base that existed on the team but then they ran into defenses doing things that they didn't expect things that were perfect and ideal to limit what they did best last year and then you have an offensive line that's still gelling and still getting used to playing in a new environment and that again that's always going to be a variable either it works or it doesn't it it's not an exact science when you're just adding new pieces at a place where continuity and and in that sense is so important. So it's a lot of those things kind of all falling on the shoulders of coaches who I think to their credit always seem to figure it out. Like, again, I think that is the testament to this team finishing strong as long as, you know, things stay afloat. And I think that's another thing, right? It's even when you don't have everything figured out, you still find ways to win. And that was the case for, for most of last year. And we've just seen a couple of examples this year when that wasn't the case. And that's just the nature of the NFL.
0: It is, and when you go back to the interview we had with Salmon Wilcotts a couple of weeks ago, I guess more than a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, um, he kind of said, "Man, that that margin of victory." Uh, and there's a there's a part of the interview towards the end where he just kind of says, "You know, there's a stretch. There could be a stretch of games, or a game or two, or a couple plays within a game, whatever the case may be, where you know it's like, hey, things aren't going their way." And you know, the Bengals had a slim margin of error uh, last, last year where a lot of the, a lot of times those one score games kind of went their way and, you know, sometimes they don't. And there were a couple of instances last year, you can think of Packers game and others that they had, you know, it, it didn't go their way in a, in a one score game. So, and of course, you know, I'm seeing people saying, you know, Burrow missed the preseason and, you know, we just told you, I, I, I know the variables at this point. I know that Joe Burrow has missed every single preseason, essentially since being in the league. Um, I know about the, the the preseason lack of playing time from, a, I, I know all of that, but the point is, is, is that the key? My, my question was, is just that the key every single off season, these weird wacky off seasons where something happens and that's why there's just a slow start. Is it the coaching? Like John pointed out, is it, you know, all of these new people on the offensive line, is it all, you know, is it all of that and we're just sticking with that? Or is there something more to it? Because the bottom line is, you know, this is a team right now that based on the quarterbacks who they've played, Mitchell Trubisky, who has been benched, Cooper Rush, who he has beaten other teams and is undefeated this year, actually undefeated as a starter in general with the Dallas Cowboys, but still, Cooper Rush, backup quarterback. Then, you know, you, you've got uh, Joe Flacco, backup quarterback, with the Jets. And halfway through this game against the Dolphins, you're facing a backup in Teddy Bridgewater because of the unfortunate injury to Tua. I, this is a team that should be where they were last year, at least in three and one, if not four and zero, oh, and not two and two. We will take two and two as opposed to one and three zero oh and four, obviously, but. There's something, and this is why John brought up this topic. There's something to this, and and there's more than just the you know oh, it's a weird preseason again. That's the reason why I, I feel like there's got to be a, something a little bit more. If they get it figured out later in the season, great, fine, I'm 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 all for it. But it would be nice to have them get off to better starts a
1: little bit. Yeah, I think when you're dealing with like the beast of the NFL, which is kind of corny for me to say, but like either you evolve and stay with the times, or you, if you don't do that too quickly, you fall behind. And with teams like the Lions, like they pivoted so far to the right, which is this smash mouth defense and really aggressive or smash mouth offense, and really aggressive defense, that they've managed to you know formulate what looks to be a pretty good team, even though I think they're only one in three, but they look much better than I think people gave them credit for in the off season. And I think with this coaching staff in particular, when Zach was still finding himself as a play caller and Lou was still trying to uh, garner the right personnel with what he wanted to do, like they finally figured out what works and they had a winning formula for that. And then the rest of the league pivoted and now they are in the process of pivoting with the rest of the league. And I think that is more or less like the reasoning behind why they were sluggish out of the gate, along with – just getting new pieces up to speed and getting Burrow back to 100%. Obviously, it's entirely gray. It's never going to be one specific area, and I think the lack of preseason does have some type of weight with that, but it's just been a really interesting year in the NFL, and it's not a bad thing at all to be 2-2 two and two, considering it seems like 80% of the league happens to be at that point. God, yeah, dude. Right. Like, there's, there's no team that's really out of it, I guess, it, not including Pittsburgh if you don't believe pickett's going to be anything but yeah it's just it's it's a it's a weird year in the NFL when things are so cyclical and it's it's unfortunate when you don't really have that confidence that you can evolve so quickly but you eventually do evolve and i think this coaching staff has earned the benefit of the doubt that they will eventually get things right and i think they're on track for that
0: yeah i mean you, and you've got a lot of the preseason darlings here the baltimore ravens Los Angeles Chargers almost called them San Diego Chargers still, (laughs) Uh, but you have a lot of those preseason darlings sitting here also at two and two with some bad losses under their belt, right? Baltimore last week, they looked like they were running away against another preseason darling in the Buffalo Bills, and they let up a 17-point second-half lead to let that evaporate. And then, you know, so you, you have that. The Browns imploded against, what was it, the Jets, I think, Joe Flacco coming back against them on a, on a lead that they had that was the game was pretty well in hand. And then you had the Chargers losing handily to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so, you know, you've got a lot of these teams that just, you know, like you said, these there's a lot of two-and-two two teams that are just showing a little bit of warts here and there. And the the important thing, while we can have this conversation now, the important thing is, is hopefully the warts are, early in the year and the Bengals end up playing some of their best football towards the middle and end of the year and against obviously divisional opponents and other conference
1: powerhouses to help them get into the playoffs. I'll just say right now, I think Dallas is a quality loss at this point. Like I'm not, it, I'm it not very well that. might be. Yeah. And I'm, I'm Cooper not rush against
0: Cooper rush too. Yeah. yeah very well might be.
1: I, I'm not playing my flag that Cooper rush should challenge Dak Prescott. I think that's absurd, no. but no. I think, for the role that that Rush has, he's a, he's a really good backup, and that's what you'd hope for for a guy that knows the system and can just play decent football. But their defense, like their pass rush, is legit. Like they still have guys on offense that can score the ball. Like I don't know, I, I feel like Dallas is a fine loss at this point.
0: All right, let's let's do this. We were gonna only do this topic really for state your case, but because of Mister Whisper, aka wow. Mister G- Mister Generosity, with the huge super chat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to go to the Pollock family foundation, and I'm sure they will be appreciative of that. You you are, you are carrying that foundation, my friend, (laughs) Mr. Whisper. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, any thoughts on the IEL indoor facility? How much did the Bengals get in the deal? Now the Bengals practice facility got, uh, you know, got its naming rights, uh, for IEL, a logistics company based in the greater Cincinnati area. Really cool. And again, the Bengals are uh, cashing those checks a little bit for uh, future contracts that they may be doling out there. Uh, I look, here's the thing this was a little obviously far less fanfare when it's an indoor facility as opposed to Paycor Stadium and the, the actual state stadium being renamed. But it's just my thoughts, John. This is just un- unfamiliar territory for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're talking about not only an indoor practice facility, but it being. It, giving out naming rights, getting money for that. It's just all foreign to me for a guy that has seen a lot of Bengals football. This is all foreign, kind of exciting. Uh, you know, we've clamored for this practice facility forever, and here it is.
1: Yeah, it looks pretty good. And like the, I think it does. the, logo, is, the logo, like Paycor, is uh, black and orange. Um, I think they, according to bengals.com, they generated a billion in annual re- revenue recently. So that definitely helps a potential deal. Um, If it were me, I would have that bubble looking like a NASCAR uniform and just have as many uh, uh, logos on it as possible. But I guess they logistically can't do that. My question is, I guess, this is supposed to be like a a temporary in- indoor facility while they build the actual right. one. I mean, this is just a bubble. this UC's bubble, only it's much closer to the stadium. So I wonder if this partnership is going to transcend to the next facility or if they're going to get an additional partnership on top of that. I don't know man. Sponsorships with Bengals, yeah, this is unfamiliar territory. I don't really know what to say.
0: Yeah, and then temporary, I mean, you know that price tag for the temporary facility as opposed to the permanent one, that's going to be a little bit little bit more lofty for the Yesterday's for the price one. is not today's <laughs> price. That is right. That is right. Oh yeah, but thank you, Mister Whisper. Very, very much appreciate your generous uh, YouTube chat donation there. And again, whether it is a YouTube chat super chat or going directly to givesandgoes dot com slash Pollock Family Foundation and donating directly there, um, that of course is in support of former Bengals linebacker David Pollock, who joined us a, a couple of months ago now on the program doing a lot of great work through his foundation and we just want to show him some love for not only the great work that his foundation is doing but for coming on the show and uh being a great guest man he was yep. he was awesome to talk to uh, as expected i mean he's personable. he's got a great career now at, at espn but a guy just because of his short career with the Bengals. you know sometimes Bengals fans don't talk about him as much aside from man what if he was god he was awesome in college um so, at any rate, Pollock Family Foundation, go support that. And thank you again, Mr. Whisper. Let's transition out of State Your Case. That was a lot of fun talking about it. And let's, of course, talk about the big game at hand. Sunday night football, the Bengals take on the Ravens. John, my first thought about this, oddly enough, was a little bit about Thursday night football. And what I had this weird thought last week where I'm watching this game and I'm hearing Al Michaels call the game. And I'm thinking, I'm going, when was the last time the Cincinnati Bengals won a football game that Al Michaels called? Because they never played well on Sunday night. They were rarely on Monday night when Michaels was the primary play caller on that one before he moved to Sunday night. And I'm I'm thinking, is it like Sam Weiss, Boomer, Esisen days? I'd have to go back and look, but that was like my first thought hearing Al Michaels call a game. And now here we are back on Sunday night. The Bengals have had some some success under Zach Taylor and Marvin Lewis on Monday night recently. Um, and then Thursday nights they've done okay as well. But man, these Sunday night games, they just don't normally treat them very well as of late.
1: I, I want to figure this out before the, the shows end. Um, he left ABC in 2006 for NBC, which is now. And this is, I guess his first year not doing uh Sunday night football. I guess he did some, I guess he did Thursday night football as well when that was also on NBC. But, yeah, like, it would have to be the last time they won a Sunday night football game. And, my God, you're right. I can't remember the last time they did that. Like I mean, that- they got smoked by the
0: Patriots on Sunday night. They got killed by the Steelers a couple times on Sunday night. Um, I just, you know, I, and then I'm going back to Monday night and I'm going, man, I mean, pre-Marvin, they weren't on Monday night really ever uh, and until it was, you know, the the Weish days. So, I don't know. I just had that random thought. Dude, um,
1: I'll be well. honest. Like, those are some dark memories of mine. Like, uh, <laughs> it, was, it would always be the Steelers or the Ravens that they would play on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And I was still in school. And, like, God dang it. I got to watch this whole thing. I got to go to bed at midnight after a 30-point loss. And I got to go to school and face all this trash. And it would always be – it just be – they, they would be depressing losses, too. Like, they wouldn't even – Oh, comeback. it's like it's like Huber cracked jaw, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's <laughs> like oh,
0: it's just it was it. God, they just got and then of course, insult to injury, literally is Collinsworth, the former Bengal, calling the game too, and it's like oh god, he's watching his old team just get trounced around. Anyway, uh, not to start this one off on such a great note, but the Bengals do head to Baltimore for a very critical game on Sunday night here, and it's Mike Tirico, who was the guy who called the Raiders playoff win. So there you go there. We've, you know, we'll bounce this. We'll yin and yang this thing out. But at, at any rate, uh, the Bengals traveled to Baltimore and it seemed like Baltimore was going to have, this was going to be especially daunting with the Ravens potentially beating the bills. Now they did not. And John, I I guess, I don't know if you, uh, where I would like to start is a little bit of the state of the Ravens, We'll get to the injury report and all that stuff, too, because uh, what I mentioned on the Happening Headline show yesterday was something that was visible on the sidelines as the Bills lined up for the game-winning kick, and that was Marcus Peters going at it with John Harbaugh. Peters, a big pickup for the team last year, did not play because he was injured. Very talented player, but heated, heated discussion between the two from what limited camera angles we saw and it sounds like he threw his helmet and all kinds of stuff. So, again, I don't know if this is all everybody's kumbaya now after this, but not a great look for for the Ravens, especially coming off a bad, bad loss to the Bills.
1: Now, did he, did he do that as, like, a response to going for it, which is, like, why they ended up being in that situation in the first place? Because you that's have not to the first, Yeah, like, <laughs> that's not the first time the Ravens have opted to be aggressive in those spots, and it's not the first time that it hasn't worked, it's it's spearheaded or I guess it's continued just the whole discussion of do you always go by what the numbers say and is that the actually riskier play even if the model tells you that it's more likely that you lose if you just kick the extra point or just kick the field goal in that sense even if you just tie it. I don't know, man. Like I feel like uh, Harbaugh just seems like he's too good of a coach to lose a locker room entirely. I think Peters is kind of a, a variable where you, you accept – like his talent and his good plays and you kind of take that he has like his own personality. And sometimes that clashes with the leadership there, but I I don't feel like Harbaugh is ever going to be the guy that completely just rubs his players the wrong way or anything like that. So like, I think it's just Marcus Peters being Marcus Peters to an extent. Yeah.
0: Well, let's get to the injury report and then we'll get to some key players, key matchups and everything uh to this game and it's a big one john because now you had the Bengals gain ground at two and two the rest of the afc north lost in all kinds of weird ways you, the browns lost to the falcons which you did not really expect and all kinds of different things happening this week so um here's the injury report you had t higgins was limited and rashad bateman their speedy wide receiver did not practice for the Baltimore Ravens here. And we'll, we'll go to the full, um, go to the full report here. It sounds this, this seems like Higgins will probably play, but we'll have to, we'll have to kind of see. He played through what was the ankle injury on Thursday night. So um, I would expect to see him based on him continuing to play. We will see though. And then of course, the Bengals will see most likely J.K. Dobbins um, back for the first time since his rookie year of 2020. So he is back with that vaunted running game there. But uh, Asiasi did not practice on Wednesday. Collins uh, just resting. Higgins had the limited practice. Hurst limited, McPherson limited, and Pratt limited. So actually not too many players, at least as compared to the Ravens there.
1: Was Pride limited, or, or did he go full? Oh, full. I'm sorry. He yeah. did go full. Yeah, so mistake. He's yeah, he missed um, some time with that knee, but I think he's been just on the injury board just because it's still a thing that they're monitoring. I would say mm-hmm. that the only one in danger of missing his game is Asiasi, if he's not practicing with, uh, I believe that that's an ankle. Um, uh, Teagan said, I think, a couple days ago that he wasn't really concerned about um, missing this week um, he played through that ankle injury against mm-hmm. the Dolphins even when he reaggravated it I think they're just kind of giving him some time to ramp up and Zach Taylor said today that it's going to be the DJ Reader route for Lell Collins DJ Reader last year had I think a veterans day every single Wednesday up until the end of the season when he just needed more practice time to, to just get right and that might be what they do with Lael, so Lael is not going to practice on Wednesdays for the time being as he continues to nurse that back injury. And Anthony, it feels like it's just something that they're going to have to deal with for the remainder of the season and just closely monitor if it gets worse. Then they might not play him. I, I don't think, I don't think time off would necessarily hurt him if it's becoming a thing where he just has, just has to nurse as the the entire season goes on. But it definitely seems like it's affecting his play.
0: It it. it. Is yeah, I mean, it does seem that way. Uh, again, it seems as if Dobbins is going to be going to play, even though he did not practice. Some of the things I'm hearing out of the Ravens camp is that he they expect him to play, but you do have Justice Hill, another running back. Um, he is did not practice with a hamstring, but Gus Edwards. Uh, kind of like with Cam Taylor-Britt and and Khalid Kareem. He has been cleared to practice, so he may be making an appearance sometime soon for the Baltimore Ravens. We'll see, of course, another guy who had a devastating injury in, in the preseason for the Ravens, just a, a bunch of them for them. So, uh, you know, they're going to try and get that running game back on track. And then, of course, you had uh non-injury rest day for Marcus Peters, uh, probably a little sore from throwing his helmet or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but let's, uh, before we get to keys and, and all of that, your, it's early as we, as we noted, the Bengals have started a game background. The division is kind of interlocked all up here with the ex- exception of the Steelers being one and three, your impressions of the importance of this game because it's early um but you know last year the Bengals made some big statements early in their season with early wins over pittsburgh early wins uh, an early win over baltimore and now they have an opportunity after squandering one against the steelers they have an opportunity here and really kind of to assert themselves in the division i don't know but there's still a lot of time if they do not so i mean i guess
1: your thoughts of the importance of this of of this one i mean we've said it before we said we'll say it again this year is mirroring last year so much last year that win over baltimore the players have said it the fans and analysts have said it it was such a turning point for this team burrow was on the sidelines quoted saying if we can beat baltimore we can take it take this to the super bowl and by god he did it (laughs) so um i mean yeah it's it's huge because i think Baltimore has established himself as like the anti-Bengals where they typically start hot, and it's just a matter of if they continue that hot streak as the season goes on. And unfortunately, their identity of late has also just been being really injury-prone. Like, even their mascot is suffering injuries. So they've been dealing with a lot of guys being out of the lineup. I think they're returning Gus Edwards to the run game this week, or at least he's starting to practice. So that's going to be something to watch as well. And it's also just Lamar Jackson really ascending into the passer I think a lot of us uh, assumed was there from his days in Louisville Louisville, but now I think it's just been all him leading this charge and just being the entire offense which is fun to watch but it's also kind of scary I think if you're a Ravens fan because it's not necessarily sustainable from a 17 game season like they have gotten basically no production from any other running back aside from Hill who's been efficient in his carries, but it's because of of Jackson, which is why that running game goes. And he's just been an incredibly accurate passer all throughout all levels of the field. So he's playing at an MVP level. Again, I don't know if it sustains over a 17 game schedule, but that's not the Bengals worry right now. They got to deal with him right now.
0: (laughs) They do. And you know, uh, Jackson has been passing uh, at a, you know, better rate and doing so more efficiently, much more efficiently this year. Um, you know, three touchdowns, one pick in the opener, three against zero in the in the second one against Miami. That was another one that you know a lot of people can't believe they lost that one. And then uh, the win against New England, four touchdowns and interception. Here's the thing, John. Last week. He had one touchdown, two interceptions, only 144 passing yards. Now you look at it and you say the weather was absolutely awful and everybody was having trouble scoring points and passing the ball in that game. However, John, there's a theme here. In three of four games, Lamar Jackson has thrown an interception. Uh, and And he's got four of them on the year, one in week one, one in week three, and two last week. So there is an opportunity potentially, even though he is lethal with his legs and doing some great things with his arm, there is still that opportunity for the Bengals to potentially get some get some turnovers based on him throwing an interception in three or four games so far this year.
1: Yeah, and I think even on those deep passes where he's had a, he's had four touchdowns and twenty attempts, uh, he's thrown two interceptions. He's had three turnover worthy plays when going deep, and I, I think the Bengals have an interesting kind of an advantage because they've developed a scheme where you know they have three linebackers out there and they've done a good job of setting the edge very well against their option run game and forcing Jackson towards the middle of the field where he can't get that far outside. Like, obviously, there's only so much that you can do with Jackson just because of how elusive of a runner that he is. But, you know, last year against a fully healthy Ravens team, like, I feel like that's always forgotten. Like, they didn't just beat the Ravens when they had high schoolers for cornerbacks. Like, they beat the Ravens <laughs> team at the peak of their ability in, in October last year. And that was when we first saw that defense kind of really work for the first time against a fully healthy and primed Lamar Jackson offense and their pass rushers ability to stay disciplined and just must rush and not go too aggro beyond the edge not rush too far inside where they lose contain like they did a great job of basically just staying in their gaps and forcing Jackson to kind of like just make something out of nothing and he does a wonderful job with that but they managed to collapse the pocket very well against him last year. And now they're dealing with an offensive line that has some talent, but has some injuries as well. And I think Ronnie Stanley might be coming back this week. And if not, they have you know, a backup that's not as good. It's an offensive line that I think the Bengals pass rush can, can do well against. And if they do the similar things that, that they did last year, schematically to a, a similar execution level, that they can have similar success.
0: So you are proclaiming the Bengals' defensive line potentially as a big key in this game based on the offensive line. Okay. Well, I'm going to go a little bit opposite, and I'm going to say the Bengals' safeties are big, big keys to this game. You had Von Bell. He had the two interceptions last week against the Dolphins. Um, Really game-changing plays, both of them. You've had Bates be a little bit quieter, but still being a bit more steady than he was in the first half of last year. Uh, You know, this year, this first half of this year, the first quarter of this year, He's been more steady than he was a bit at the beginning of last year. But you've got Mark Andrews, who has three of Lamar Jackson's 11 touchdown passes so far this year. And the Bengals need to figure out a formula to limit things. They're going to need to figure out, you know, Bell has been playing well as a pass defender, but he's also a guy that's been known. Go go listen to Dave Lapham's recent film breakdown of Von Bell and talk about how he's a guy that also does a little bit of everything. He's in the box and, and a very physical safety as well. So with the running game, be it Lamar Jackson or the running backs as well as Mark Andrews, one of, if not the favorite target of Lamar Jackson, I think these safeties. And if you want to throw in a guy like Trey flowers yes. in there as well, that's a guy that I think are going to be key players in this game here. Um, yeah. You got to get, you know, the, the defensive line has to, do a lot of different things here. They got to have contain, but also find a semblance of rush along with the contain, right? Uh, and they can't over pursue when they when they get on Lamar Jackson. But Lamar's going to throw, and he's going to look at Mark Andrews pretty often. And it's going to take a pretty good game by those two safeties and and that tweener player, Trey Flowers, I think, to get the Bengals a victory at least, or at least have them in position to get a victory based on what they want to do defensively.
1: A lot of people joke that the Ravens don't have any wide receivers, but Mark Andrews is legitimately a wide receiver one. Like, he's Mm -hmm. ninth in the NFL in targets, and Lamar Jackson looks his way 40% of the time when he drops back. So, like, that's a guy that – he's one of the reasons why Trey Flowers is brought back. Like, you have to face this guy twice a year, and he's not – the greatest athlete at the position, but he finds ways to get open and his chemistry with Mar is amongst the best of any wide receiver or receiver quarterback combo. And Mark, Mark has not always, you know, towards the Bengals because again, the Bengals defense has found ways to limit this offense, but one, one wrong move from flowers and Andrews is running deep down the middle of the field. Like the intermediate intermediary portion of the field is where Jackson has been at his best. I think PFF has graded him above 90 for those throws between 10 and 19 yards. That's Mark Andrews' territory. So Flowers, I, I would expect him to just be following him wherever he goes on the field. Flowers is probably going to play the most snaps that he's played this season.
0: Well, those are some key players. I want to talk about the defensive tackle position, though. You mentioned the defensive line, and and we'll get to predictions and get on out of here in just a minute. But obviously, no DJ Reader, and DJ Reader would be key, a key, key player. I said last week, John, that this is a game that I am really worried about with what Baltimore likes to do on offense and not having arguably your best defensive player out there in DJ reader. And you've got Josh Tupo's who's a good replacement. He's had a couple of nice plays against the Ravens in their run game in the past, but he's a guy that you would like to bring in as a rotational spell kind of guy. Now you've got, we'll see what happens with Kareem and all of that, but how worried are you? about the Bengals defensive performance without DJ reader that they're now relying heavily on BJ Hill, relying heavily most likely on Josh Tupo and a myriad of others, Zachary Carter, probably kicking in and out
1: here and there. Yeah. I, th- I think how Carter looks in his first game against the Ravens in that attack, I think that's, that's pretty key. Like it's going to be a lot of misdirection. It's going to be a lot of, you know, staying to the outside to set the edge force. Um, you know Jackson or whoever the running back is to come back inside when they when they go into their option plays. Again, it's mostly been Jackson running the ball for them, and that's been the majority of their success. So it might not all be on those interior guys, but I think the system that they have in place works, and obviously DJ Reader makes it better. But taking him out of this game, like it, it might not be like a complete crisis emergency. I think obviously the linebackers, you know, stay disciplined as well. I think that's very key and. Sam Hubbard, again, has to continue to be one of the best run defense, run defending defensive ends in the league. Like, his presence on the edge is very imperative here. So, yeah, DJ Reader will definitely be missed, but I think Tupo is is decent enough just to make this work.
0: I hope you are right. I tend to agree to some extent, but again, it's just you wish that... You had reader in here for a variety of reasons, just, just a very good player. So um, we've talked about some key players. We've talked about some key matchups. Where do you see this one going? What predictions do you have for us? I believe if I heard correctly that with daddy O and Hoji, you picked a Bengals loss. Am I correct in that one? And I'm curious if you're going to carry that over to this show as well.
1: Yeah, I think because of something that we didn't really talk about, like, I don't really. Know we'll talk about is. it. I got time. Let's talk, yeah. talk about it. <laughs> I, I'll say it right now, I don't really know what this Ravens defense is like. They're bottom in the league yeah. in the most important statistics, but and, and pass defense, man. They they let up a lot of passing yards. Now, Marlon Marlon Humphrey was not a bad player when Jamar Chase torched him for two hundred and one yards. So I'm not really sure what's going on with that, but it doesn't seem like he's playing that bad. Like Marcus Peters is always liable to intercept a, a, an errant pass. I, th- I think Marcus Williams is playing fine. Kyle. Uh, Hamilton I think is playing fine but somehow as a unit like they're not performing up to standards and as pass rushers like I, th- I think Oway's got an 18% win rate Justin Houston is an injury to watch because he's their second best edge. yeah he didn't play and, last week I don't think yeah so uh, Calais Campbell he's still around he's still a presence like they got guys on defense but they're just what for whatever reason not performing well and if I was covering the Ravens I would pick this as a get right game for that defense just because the Bengals offense is still finding themselves. And historically the Ravens love to blitz, but they're not coached by Wink Martindale anymore. So I think they're middle of the road in blitz percentage. Does that change against the Bengals defense uh, or against the Bengals offense who I think enjoy the fact that the Ravens still play as much man coverage as they do because they want to give the receivers a chance to get open down the field. But I don't know, man. I think that unpredictability, when there used to be some familiarity in what they're doing, I think that may pose some issues for the Bengals offense who are still still finding themselves. And I, I don't think it's going to be a, a particularly great game for the offensive line, and that may lead to one or two more stall drives than um, the, the Bengals will be. You know, the, like like they'll need points on those drives. So I'm going to stick with my prediction on d and I'm going to go 20 to 26 Ravens.
0: 20 to 26 Ravens. I can definitely see a scenario wherein you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can I can see a scenario where where you are wrong, and and maybe some of the things that the Bengals have been trying to work on, Joe Mixon, etc can can get things going, and you know maybe keep that Ravens offense off the field a little bit longer, keep them at bay eat a little bit of the game clock and, and win that way. But like you said, there could be an, it's, it, you know, a situation where the Bengals just, uh, you know, the, the, the offensive line doesn't hold up. That run game doesn't get fixed. And maybe Joe Burrow for, I, I think he hasn't had a turnover. He I think he fumbled in the Cowboys game, but hasn't thrown an interception since the opener. Um, he's played turnover-free football the last two weeks. And, oh, by the way, that's translated to two wins. So, you know, there, there could be a scenario where maybe that, you know, sack fumble or something of that nature. The, you know, Marcus Peters, opportunistic cornerback, maybe he gets his hands on one and, and intercepts a pass, and that changes the game. I think it's going to be close. I don't think if you're looking for the you know the the three touchdown type of win that we saw last year, this Ravens team is a bit healthier. I think they remember that. Hungrier. Uh, I think I yeah. think they are hungrier. I think they are pissed off at what happened to them last week, letting that game slip slip away. I think there is there's a lot of people picking an upset alert in terms of you know I'm seeing a lot of gambling sites and betting lines and whatnot saying pick take the Bengals take the Bengals John Breach the son of former Bengals kicker Jim Breach who who now works at CBS Sports. He picked the Bengals in an upset in this one. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go with you though. I I just I had the Bengals splitting with the Ravens this year when we did the schedule prediction. I did have them sweeping the Steelers. Um so hopefully I'm wrong on this one, but I will say 27 23 ravens in this one um and the Bengals get them when they get them back at home but it would be great if the Bengals win this game it would be great if they win another primetime game falling to two and three would not be the worst thing in the world based on how this division has been performing but man getting that they need to get that division win they need to get that first division win i think they can i just don't know that they will that's my take on it
1: yeah i think they're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about the ravens this week i think we believe that they're they are a legit good team but the Bengals have surprised us in the past and like we've talked about earlier like this is such a nice place to be where they're on prime time and you're not expecting them to just fall flat the only prime time game they've lost in the last seven times was the most prime time game of them all in the Super Bowl so yeah they, they show up and I think the, the, they'll show up this time this time but I just honestly I just I, I think there's just a lot of variables here that. I think a lot of people are overlooking that I'm not sure that they can overcome, but they easily could.
0: They could. And tell you what, this game for the next, however many years is going to be the battle of all battles is going to be Justin Tucker versus Evan McPherson. That's going to be the battles who can kick the longer field goal, who can kick more field goals. That's going to be the case. Let's drop the
1: mic and get out of
0: here. What do you got for us, John?
1: So if I did this research, right, Al Michaels, Called ABC from 86 to 2005 and then went to NBC in 2006. The Bengals had seven Sunday night games from 2006 to now. They lost all seven. So never on NBC did they win with Al Michaels calling the game, but they did win a Monday night game in 2004 against the Broncos. And I think that's the last time Al Michaels called a win. But he will not obviously call this game. It'll be Mike Tarico. And the Bengals, like you said, Won their first playoff game in 31 years of Mike Tirico. So, good luck charm there, maybe.
0: I remember vividly that Monday night game against the really? Broncos. Yes, because that is the Champ Bailey versus Chad Johnson game. Chad kind of started doing his talking a little bit after that. Remember in 03? Was it 03 he had the list, or was it 05 he had the list? Regardless, 03, 03, 03 was the one where, you know, he was, uh, you know, he had the big, the big boastful win over over the Chiefs. He predicted that one and all of that, and that was kind of a big coming out. That was Carson Palmer's first year starting in 04 in that game, so that was kind of an exciting game there. Uh, Rob Duncan, I think, contradicted you. He said there was maybe an 07 game against the Ravens That uh the Bengals won. I don't really remember that one. We'll see. But is that Monday
1: night or Sunday night, Rob?
0: Yeah, I thought that might have been I don't I don't know what that what which one that was. We'll have to go back and look, but regardless, I was gonna pull that up and then you contradicted Rob, so I don't know who to believe now. (laughs) And I don't have I don't have a research status statistician in front of me there. Say that word five times fast. We'll get to this one here because it's a super chat and I'll make it the uh, my My mic drop, and again, kind of talking about all this prime time stuff, Aquila the great, thank you for the super chat. Um, my question in retrospect, how can one team be so bad in prime time? That team being the Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, was it Lewis or Dalton or both, or Doctor I Not that we need to end the show on such a sour note. I guess we could <laughs> parlay that into hey they 're better now in prime time that 's what matters. You know, one thing that always stuck with me, I said this last Friday or maybe it was last week when I, I said, you know, you got to watch out for Melvin Ingram. Uh, Melvin Ingram was a guy in the 2013, 20, it was, I think it was technically in 2014, um, but it was the 2013 wild card game against the then San Diego Chargers. And he came out, the Bengals had beaten the Chargers in San Diego. Prior to that, San Diego comes to Cincinnati. They lose to the chargers uh, in, in the playoff game. And it seemed like a game that the Bengals should easily have won. And Melvin Ingram after the game said they, they did nothing on offense that they didn't show us just a couple of weeks ago. They did everything exactly the same. So we knew what to expect pretty much every snap, every, you know, every read, that sort of thing. Um, I think so. I think in a lot of ways, it's it's preparation. It's that I, I, for all the great things Marvin Lewis did for this franchise, there was that rigidity. He just would not go away from certain things or certain practices that he believed, and in ways that he thought the team should win. Um, and I, I think there's there's a lot of that. And, and I think you know, quite honestly, John, there's a little bit of you know potentially an air of being tight, playing tight. And when, you're, when your quarterback has that, when your head coach potentially has that, that bleeds into everybody, right? Um, that lack of belief. And then, of course, as we had seen so many times with the Cincinnati Bengals and so many different iterations of the team, that snowball effect. Because the fans felt it, the team felt it, the here we go again. Even when things started to, you know, you thought you had things in hand and they're tripping over themselves. They, they can't They can't find a way to win. That snowball effect. That would keep up, it creep up on this team. And I think that was part of it as well. It's just, oh boy, are, are we going to let this one go again? Are we not going to be able to do it again? And it, you know what I mean? It's kind of that that uh, 800 pound gorilla in the room type of thing. And I don't know. Um, those are just some of my sentiments with it.
1: Yeah, very, very, a lot of catharsis there. Um, Rob, <sighs> oh. Al Michael stopped doing Monday Night <laughs> Football after uh, 2006. So yeah, it was 2004 it was the last time you saw a win.
0: What do you, what do you think about Aquila's just as we get out of there? What, I mean, do you just is it just the personality types of of you know the the main figureheads there that you could attribute that to or I don't know.
1: I always feel like the the Andy AJ Gino Carlos leadership like for for whatever reason I don't know, man, if like it's hard to quantify and really describe leadership, but it it never seemed like they they knew what to do when the moment was was big, and I feel like a lot of it was. I it, it, it's weird it's weird for me to talk, but I really don't have like a coherent thought in the matter. It it just was a vibe thing to me. Like for whatever reason, like we know these players are better than what they're showing in these moments, but for whatever reason, the preparation wasn't there and the mindset wasn't there. Maybe that was a a systemic issue with the coaching, with the overall culture, with it all, but it. It never really made sense to me for whatever reason. It never clicked. And that's always going to be like a, a scar on, on that tenure in that era, despite all the talent there.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Well, hey, new era now with the Bengals, and they <laughs> have won a plethora of playoff games and primetime games. Let's hope that that trend under Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow continues this Sunday. Going to be a tough one. Bengals face the Ravens. We're going to have more with the guys from 410 Sports Talk. Uh, pre- helping us preview the Baltimore Ravens game. So that'll be later this week. Bengal Jim had a good show with uh, the Bengal boys this week. And uh, man, if you had a chance, we, we didn't get the audio till a little bit later, but go back and listen to the, the great live show he did with a number of different star players uh, of the past, Willie Anderson and Isaac Curtis included from last week that was pretty cool and of course matt Minnick always bringing it on coach speak and chalk talk so all of those are available on the cincy jungle podcast channel go download how you can john thanks for your input somehow we thought we had a light show somehow we went long but that's okay uh thanks dude we'll we'll catch up more this week absolutely dude talk to you
1: guys then all right